All right, a couple weeks ago I started in the book of Judges, and uh, we're going to continue on in part two of this series in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the Old Testament, we see that God works through one individual at a time. It's almost like this is his representative, and the Holy Spirit was not yet given where we have the opportunity to go right to God and talk to God through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. God had one representative for his nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people. And this is after Abraham and Moses and Joshua, and it's before King David and Solomon and and King Saul. And we see that over this 430-year period, we see 12 different judges rise up to lead and to judge the nation. And we, we see out of those 12 that there are six major ones and six minor ones. Simply the minor ones are like Shamgar. We're skipping over Shamgar because one, I mean, we don't really talk about Shamgar. And also there's one verse about him. Now he ruled for a while, but when there's one verse about you, that's not much to preach about. And that one verse says that he killed 600 Philistines with a cattle prod. Just one of the interesting instruments that will be used in the book of Judges for destruction. But in this book, we also see the sin cycle, that sin comes into people's lives. Uh, Another nation will come and capture them. They will repent of their sin, and then God sends a deliverer to bring them back to him in a unique way. And that's the stories that we're going to be looking at here today. Once again, uh, we see about 40 years of peace, and I reference that to a generation. It seems like a generation serves the Lord. And they've seen God work in their lives. And when the next generation comes and has not seen God work in their lives, they fall aside and start worshiping their own idols and things that they made up. God will have to punish them, send destruction their way until they call out for help. We're going to skip over the first couple verses, but you can move into Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The people of Israel did evil. I feel like that's how every chapter opens up. Uh, The people of Israel did evil, and if we're being honest about ourselves, I would say sometimes that would be how we open up our lives or even as our country. Uh, It says, verse 2, the Lord sold them into the hands of King Jabin. God loves us too much to let us stay in our sin. And so he has to prod us a little bit, like a cow being kind of prodded in the right direction. Yes, it hurts, it stings a little bit. Uh, You can't stay in an unsafe place. God has to move us to where he wants us to go. And we see he's moving us along. This is different than temptation. Pastor Frank preached a great message last week on temptation. God cannot tempt us or we will not be able to be tempted beyond what we are able. James chapter 1 verse 13. But pretty much everything else in this world, every waking moment of our life will try to tempt us to knock us off course, and to get us going from what God has called us to do for the kingdom. Uh, Please understand, if something bad happens in your life, it's not punishment from God. You didn't get a bad doctor's report because of God. You got a bad doctor's report because we live in a fallen world with fallen bodies in this sinful place. Almost there with the background. We're getting there. Verse number three, a cry out to the Lord because it was an insurmountable task they had to go against. Old Testament times, you had a sword, maybe you had a slingshot. You didn't have a lot of stuff going on here. But the nation that was holding them captive had these tanks. 
Obviously, they weren't tanks, but that's what they would have been viewed on. They were the iron chariots. That really, when they came up against it, you could throw what you wanted at them, but they had these chariots that they would come in and just swoop in and, and knock you down and knock you out. It was just, it was no one was going to be able to take on King Jabin and his army. Uh, interestingly enough, that when God had given the promised land to Moses and to Joshua, you remember what was in the promised land? It was these big grapes and just, it was awesome and, 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 and great, but there were people living in it. He says, part of your promised land is you're going to have to ask the people to leave politely. And if they don't, then you're going to have to go and kill them. And God, Old Testament, I don't understand everything, but that's what it was. So they come in and Joshua, in Joshua chapter 11, it says he takes on, uh, I believe it was Hezer, uh, Hazer. And Joshua destroys Hazer and he burns that city. But he doesn't destroy everything around it. And we see a hundred years later that King Jabin, probably another King Jabin, grandson, great-grandson, rises up, forms this group, and they come and attack, attack Israel. Here we go. Chapter 4, lots of funny names. Let's go. Today our main judge is a woman by the name of Deborah. Deborah, a prophetess from the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord God of Israel commanded you, Go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and the Zebulonites, and I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, his infantry, at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, I will go with you. Uh, if you will go with me, I will go with you. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. He responds, I will gladly go with you, she said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went to Barak to Kadesh. A lot of names mentioned there. Let me break it down for you, the good and the bad. First of all, the good, we have uh, Deborah, who is judging Israel at that time. This is unique. There's not a lot of uh, high-profile women in the Old Testament. We see that God calls women and uses women. God gives us the same spiritual gifts. We have the same abilities, the same talents. I would say that women have some more talents than we have. They see things that we don't see as men. Um, but for this moment, this was an unlikely leader. So point number one today is God uses the unlikely. We have Deborah, and then her commander of the army was Barak, and he was the one that says, listen, I will go into battle, but only go if you go with me. I'm being a little bit of a scared person here. And then we see the bad team, which is King Jabin, and um, Sisera. Sisera would have been the commander of the army for King Jabin, who was holding Israel captive. Wow, lots of information. But God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. No one would expect Deborah to be leading this nation, but God raised her up. And we've seen over the plan of the Old Testament into the New Testament that God has worked mightily through women. I think about the mother of creation, Eve, and the responsibility that she had. 
I think about Esther in the Old Testament, a, a book that's written after her, how she had the courage, she had the bravery to go to the king and tell him the plan that was going on. Deborah that we look at today, Mary the mother of Jesus who many expect was 14 or 15 years old when an angel came to her and said, listen, you're going you're gonna to birth the Son of God by the name of Jesus. And, and she kind of says, well, I've never been with a man. And the angel says, don't worry about it. And her response was, I need all the details. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Joseph's going to be upset with me. She just says, okay, nevertheless what I want, just whatever you have planned, may it happen. And we see she makes a great difference. We see Lydia, who helped start uh, the church in Philippi. And what we see, and we don't always see women making a huge difference in the Bible or the headlines, but I would say we see women making a huge difference in the church life. I, I see women with roles that are just incredible that go unseen. And I think about over my time as a Christian, women have played a huge impact in my life. And I think if you've been in church long enough, especially if you grew up in church, you would see that women played a huge role in your life as well. I think about the time when I was born and or I would spend the night over at my grandparents' house and I would wake up and see my grandmother praying for me. You know, I think about the, uh, the ways that my grandparents, my, by the female grandparents, because most of them, my grandfathers were dead before I turned 12. Um, so just the impact they had in my life. I think about my Sunday school teachers teaching me the Word of God. It was women that were investing into my life. I, I think about my wife and how she's challenged me and pushed me uh, to be more obedient to the Word of God and to do a little bit of laundry from time to time. There's, there's pushing on, on both sides. I think about this 90-year-old woman who never had a teaching role within the church. But when I was at Liberty University, she wrote a three-page handwritten note to me every week talking about deep theological principles that I had no idea what she was talking about. Here I was studying to be in the ministry, and she was teaching me more through her handwriting. I think about the great difference that, that women have made that we don't always see. I think about the 12 disciples. Women weren't part of the 12 disciples, but you know who were with the 12 disciples almost all the time? Mary and Martha, right there along with them. We see that after the 12 disciples, the next group that God commissions is the 120 that's sent out. And there were lots of women. There were many women, it says, in that group that was sent out over that time. And so God uses the unlikely. I think when we feel like we're unlikely to be used, we're exactly where God wants us to be, ready for ministry. Um, the way I picture Deborah is not this soft person. Listen, if you're leading a nation, if you're judging people, you're going to have lots of opinions brought back against you. I'm not sure I liked how you judged that one role. I'm not like sure how you, you did that one right there. Um, so she had to be a tough woman. I don't think she was soft. I'm not saying she had sarcasm, because I'm not sure sarcasm was around back then, but you, know, you could read some of these scriptures as if it was sarcastic. And we see that she was bold, and she's different than the other men that follow her, because the men that we're going to see from here on out, the major ones are going to be like, God, I'm not sure if you're really with me. God, I'm not sure if I can do this. God, I like the things of the world better than your ways. But we see Deborah with boldness and confidence that says, listen, this is what we are going to do. It may not make sense, but if God has called us to do this, this is what we're going to do. And then we see uh, 
Barak, who is the leader of the army, kind of saying, like, I'm not sure we can win this battle. They've got these iron tanks over there, and I'm not going to go to this battle with my 10,000 men unless you, this unlikely leader, Deborah, unless you come with me. And so Deborah asked the question. I, I, I would imagine the question uh, probably was not sweet, but it was probably forceful and says, has God not told you to do this? Why would you think about anything in your own terms if God has told you to do something? You just do this. Guys, we've been in, we've been in captivity for 20 years. Why would we not try to get out of captivity as quickly as possible and make this happen? Just find someone to do the job. And when I look at this and we think about sometimes we're not good enough, that's exactly where you want to be. And my ask for you today is if you feel like you're an unlikely, I need you. Um, guys, we've had several people join the church over the last couple years. And the group leaders that we used to have cannot handle the influx of new people to teach them the Word of God. And so I am asking people today, like literally, get out a communication card, put your name, put your phone number, your email, drop it in our orange bucket as we leave. I need teachers. I need teachers that teach the Bible. There's, there's no mistake about it. We, we have more people that want to be in groups than we have teachers. And I don't know who these people are going to be in groups, but I know that there's a lot of people that need to be discipled. We can help you along with the training, but I'm just reminded that sometimes you just have to put the food out there and the people will come. My wife and I, we spend a lot of time on our garden. Our water bill is pretty high because we water these plants and they come back every year and they're just beautiful. And, and over the years, we've decided to put out different things. And I, I'll tell you what, I've never seen a hummingbird at my house until someone said, hey, hummingbirds are pretty cool. Put out this nectar and they'll come. And I put out this little cute little $5 thing from Menards and you put the nectar in there, which I don't know if it's sugar water. You put it out there and all of a sudden, a couple of days later, hummingbirds start coming around. Now, I didn't know there were hummingbirds at my house until I put the food out there. And then I said, you know what, this is kind of crazy. I'm going to go back to the bird section, and I promise you I've never seen a blue jay at my house, but they give you like this little wax kind of like bird feeder thing, and they say, just put this out and these type of birds. And I'm like, there is no way. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Bir birds don't have like a certain appetite, like the, the red ones eat this, the blue ones eat this, and the orange ones eat this. But I'm telling you, they do. And I don't know the science behind it. And I don't care the science behind it. I go to Menards, spend 99 cents on this little wax thing that says Blue Jays, and guess what shows up at my house? Yep. Next week, I go and buy a 99-cent thing that says Cardinals on it, and guess what shows up? Cardinals. And the same thing with the Orioles. I, I, I love the baseball names, but you just put it out. You put the food out there, and it comes. It doesn't make sense. I don't care about it, but it does. And here's what I'm saying. You may not have anybody that you know that would want to be in your group. But if you put the word of God out there, if you teach the word of God, we have resources to help you teach the word of God. I believe as we put the word of God out there, there is such a hunger for the word of God and for truth that we have never seen before. As the enemy attacks, it feels like Christianity gets stronger. And that's my desire. I need about 10 people today just to say, yep, I know a little bit about the Bible. I may or may not be a good life group leader, but I'll go ahead and just want some more information on that. So go ahead and fill it out. Appreciate it. All right. What should happen in this scenario as we're talking about going back to the story? 
Barak should have just gone out to war and said, hey, I've got your blessing. God is with me. Like, I am on it. Let's make this happen. Uh, but Barak says, listen, I, I'm not going into battle against King Jaden um, without you, Deborah. And I kind of get down on him for his lack of trust. But then I think if I'm in the same situation, Deborah was an unlikely leader. But that moment, she was the representation of God himself. She was the one that spoke for God to the nation. She was the one that would hear for God from the na- for the nation. And so, so when I see uh, Barak saying, listen, Deborah, you have to come with me. I don't care who gets the credit. You have to come with me. I kind of see that as a smart move. Like, I want the representation of God on my side with me. Because once again, you're going up this huge battle where it doesn't make sense for you to win because of all these tanks that will be coming up against you, but yet you still come. All right, verse number 14. So Deborah said to Barak, go, exclamation. This is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera and all his charioteers and all of his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. God gives us the victory. Point number two, God is the majority. Deborah tells Barak to get the troops together. Sisera has a bad military strategy. But verse number 15 is the whole key to this. It says the Lord threw the army into a panic. The Lord threw the opposing army into a panic. Now we get to see this story from the outset, but when we're reading this story, you realize that Barak already won the battle even before he went into battle. He's getting his troops together. Guys, we're going up against this army, and as he's getting his troops together, probably fearful, you know, you, you could be brave, but in the midst of your ba- bravery, there's fear that comes with it. While that was being assembled, the enemy was being disassembled. God was sending panic on their side. And, and so what we see there, I think from time to time, when we take a strong stance against things of this world, we can be fearful, but we know with God, point number two, God is the majority. And when we have the majority, it may not be clean, but we're going to win. And I think about the stances we have to make. I saw a stance this past week from a, a football coach. A football coach in a very liberal town says, listen, I know what you believe on right to life. And he's speaking at a right to life conference. He says, listen, let the babies live. Give them a chance. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, did he really mean that? Like, did he really, like, mean let the babies live? Like, the town he lives in is so pro-abortion, like, you wouldn't believe it. And I says, maybe he made a mistake. And then two days later, he got up again and says, listen, if any of my players have a kid that they don't want, give it to me and my wife, and we'll raise that kid. Can we clap for that? This is the most touching moment I've had here at Genoa. Some of you know who you just clapped for. Most of you do not. Never would I think in this Buckeye nation that Genoa Baptist Church would clap for the head football coach at the University of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. 
Now listen, he's absolutely crazy, don't get me wrong. But this issue, he got right. I enjoyed my last Sunday with you guys, this was good. (laughs) This is not my last Sunday, I need to clarify that, that I know of. Um, Last week, Pastor Frank, uh, I think in announcements, said, hey, um, we have our Celebrate Recovery program going on. And since Pastor Scott left to Charlotte, many of you guys don't know, there used to be a Pastor Scott Derrick here on staff. And Pastor Scott Derrick was called to the Billy Graham Association, moved down to Charlotte, but he used to lead our Celebrate Recovery program. And so we got a couple phone calls this week. Hey, are you leaving? I'm not going anywhere. Not by choice. Uh, So I'm here. All right, God is the majority. Thank you for clapping for... Yep. God's the majority. God is the majority. And we can go into these battles. We can go into these things. Now listen, I think sometimes we find ourselves in, in certain situations because of our own stupidity. And we can't expect God to be with us in the midst of our stupidity. Because if he was with us and helping us along through our stupidity, we would continue to do that. Sometimes we have to fall to know we're in stupidity. But I believe if God has called us to do certain things, God has already sent confusion on the other side. Right? If God is with us, we can be scared. We can, we can be like wondering if we're going to win or not. And in the midst of our fear, we still have this bravery knowing that God is with us while he's disassembling whatever's holding us back. Whatever's holding us in our way. What's, whatever is not there. Um, we're never outnumbered. We're never outnumbered with God. I think my biggest fear for us as a church could be comfort and realizing that we don't need God. Guys, things are good. And when things are good, we, we tend, tend to coast. Guys, look at this building. This is beautiful. Like, I, I, I can't believe we're, there's not like basketball hoops up on either side of this building. I can't believe the technology works most of the time. Like, I can't believe... These chairs aren't super comfortable, but those chairs in the back are super comfortable. I I can't believe how nice and comfortable and beautiful everything looks. But the biggest thing that comes our way when finances are good, when life is going good, is comfort. And we don't need God anymore. We don't don't need God in our lives anymore because we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need have. And sometimes you need that, that little edge that we can't do this on our own, that we need God to continue to work. And I believe that if we have this great building, it's for use for God that we have to keep doing. We have to keep going and doing what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. All right, verse 16. The story's going to get a little bit crazier here. Verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots as and the army as far as Herosheth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by sword. Not a single man was left. Think about this great nation. This, this one that had held them captive for almost 20 years, and it says not a single man except for Sisera was the commander, the commander of the army. He runs off, but the people that were actually fighting, not a single individual was left. And I think what happens in our lives is we see in this battle Point number three, God takes our weakness and makes it his strength. God takes our weakness and makes it his strength. Israel's strength was not going up against these iron tanks. 
Israel's strength would have been more into hand-to-hand combat. And so he took the weakness that they had and threw the other army where they left their chariots, they left their iron tanks, they left that stuff and came to fight against them as he sends confusion. I think God can take our weakness and make it his strength. I remember when I was called into ministry, uh, the first time I, I said no, the second time I said yes, and it was 1997, towards the end of October. I was at Liberty University. There was a thing called Super Conference. John Rawlings, uh, who was old back then, um, just got up, and, and usually there was two speakers that day. And the first speaker spoke for an hour, and uh, second speaker gets up and says, listen, I've got this great sermon. I'm ready to preach, but I feel like there's people that need to surrender their lives to ministry. There's people that need to go on the mission field, and, and we're just going to have an altar call right now for the service. And, and I remember, like, listen, I don't believe in out-of-body experiences, but I don't remember walking from my seat down. For, I know I did, but I'm just saying it was one of those things, and I surrendered my life to ministry, and I said right then and there, I said, God, I'll do anything. Just don't put me in front of people, Right? <laughs> You're laughing because you've made these commitments to God. Like, God, I'll do anything but this. And next thing you know, you're doing that. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want. Like, let me be behind the scenes. Let me run, run the groups. Let me do whatever. But, but uh, just don't put me in front of people. And you know what God heard? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, I don't care what you want. And it was at that time, uh, a couple years later, I'm interning at a church. I just got the job. Amy and I had just got married my senior year of college. And it was at that time where I'm getting ready to learn from this small church, about 100 people, and the pastor's there. And uh, the first month I'm there or so, he gets dementia, and he has to step down from ministry. And the leaders come to me and say, listen, Scott, you're going to be speaking every week. I said, hold on a second. (laughs) I still got my full-time job, and I still got school. And they said, all right, every third week. And I was just telling Alex about this today. I said, those are some of the, you think I preach bad sermons now. You should have heard me 20 years ago. There were some of the worst sermons I've ever preached. I think I misquoted John 3.16 one time. There's three-year-olds that could quote that, but I remember that, and I would get down so frustrated, and this congregation just loved me, and they just supported me, and they said, that was the greatest sermon we've ever heard, and I know it wasn't, but they would share with me. It was just to have that time where God was shaping and molding me, where I didn't want to be molded in that direction, but God said, who cares? Here's what you're going to do. And I, I fast forward some 20 years later, 25 years later, and as I tell that story to Pastor Frank, Pastor Joe, and Pastor Wayne, they said, we were there for that conference. We remember that. We went to super conference every year. So I remember 15 years before I met this church and the people here, we were in the same building as I was surrendering my life to Christ. God uses our weaknesses and makes it his, his strength. As there's so many things that God can do in and through us. If we think we're weak, it's exactly where we need to be. I think some of the greatest life group leaders, first impression leaders that we have here at the church are people that don't feel like they're good enough, so they never fill out the communication card. There's probably a couple of you that fill it out a couple times and we lose the communication cards. That's okay if we haven't contacted you. Continue to fill those out. Eventually we'll get back to you. But some of the greatest leaders we have are the people that, one, stay busy or feel unqualified. In Ephesians 4.12, it says that we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a saint, and you're called to do the work of the ministry. Amen? Amen. The story closes out with another crazy woman. 
here in verse chapter, chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. It says, Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot. Remember, the whole nation had, had been killed. Every single person except for the commander, he fled. He fled on foot to a tent of jail. This is her name. The wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazar and the family of Heber, the Canaanite. Jill went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, come in, my lord, with respect. Come in with me, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket for a little nap. Uh, he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She didn't get him water, but she opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, listen, you know, people are probably coming after me, so stand at the entrance of the tent. If a man comes and asks you, is there a man in here, say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Hebrew's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, went silently to Sisera, and she hammered the peg into the temple of his head and drove it into the ground, and of course, he died. Guys, if a woman ever tells you, don't be afraid... Like, run. <laughs> I've seen it in movies, and now it's scriptural. Just run. We've talked about over the last month, Proverbs 31, the woman who fears the Lord, and uh, she should be praised. We've looked at Deborah, her boldness. We look at Jael and just how strong she was, how she was kind and <laughs> kind of set him up. As I was reading a commentary, this is what it says here. Um, one commentary wrote that she was in violation of normal standards of ancient Eastern hospitality. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever read a greater understatement in all of Scripture. But I think about this, and this isn't a story. These are actual events. So I imagine he's sleeping from exhaustion, and as she's hammering this peg into his head, blood squirting everywhere. This is the word of God inspired, amen. And it's just going through, and it says it goes so much through his head that it goes into the ground. All the way, not a metaphor, real events here. Don't mess with a woman who fears the Lord. Point number four, sometimes God's ways don't make sense to us. And here's the fill in the blank part, at the time. At the time, the chariots didn't make sense. Jail didn't make sense. There was, there was somewhat hospitality. There was somewhat an agreement between her husband and the commander of the army that there was peace between these. But it didn't make sense for this to happen. But I've seen this over and over in my life, and maybe you've seen this over and over in your life, where it didn't make sense to you at the time what was going on in your life. It didn't make sense why you lost your job, but only to find out a few months later you got a better job. It didn't make sense to you why you had to move and go somewhere else until you find out years later that that community uh, went down or the, their home values went down. It didn't make sense to you at the time why you had to do this, but it brought you back to the Lord. And what I'm saying is many times we don't understand what God is doing in our life until we say, as Pastor Frank says, we, check, we get to heaven and we check the tape. And we see God's hands was all over our lives. And I've experienced this in my life over and over again. I remember the first time I met my wife, it was middle school, and we were carrying tables for our little Christian school to set up for a fundraiser. 
And I remember I was just infatuated with her that she looked good and she was cool and she, she was somewhat, not somewhat, she was very athletic. Uh, she beat me in bowling one time. That almost ended our relationship uh, just because I'm fairly competitive. And, and I remember like, hey, this in middle school, like, hey, I got to ask this girl out. And I asked her out and she was like, no. So a year later, I asked her out. She came back to her senses and... and um, we, we started dating all through high school and through college. There were ups and downs, and I think we broke up 34 times or something like that. But, but I remember like uh, proposing to her and, and asking her to marry me uh, in college, and we were to get married after college. And then I talked to her, and I was like, what if we get married like Christmas break? What about that? Like in between like our, your junior year, middle of my senior year, I talked her into it, and we got married. And so we got married in January. And I remember coming home from work one day, about May, and she had this look on her face of concern. And uh, I kind of looked at her, I says, everything okay? And she goes, I'm pregnant. And I kind of laughed like, what? No, like you're on birth control. Like this doesn't happen. She's like, nope, both of these things say I'm pregnant. I'm like, well, those aren't very trustworthy. Let's go to the dollar store and get a couple more. <laughs> and so, so we went to the dollar store and both of them were right. And I'm like, well, who trusts the dollar store? Let's go to Walmart and get two more. And so after six pregnancy tests, all six were positive. Um, we were excited that we were pregnant. Now, Zach, if you're listening, you, you were not a mistake. You were just earlier than what we had planned. <laughs> but I had planned to go to seminary and spent about $30,000 getting my Master's of Arts, then my Master's of Divinity. But God's ways are better than our ways. And so as I dropped out and I had to get a real job, take care of my family, uh, it didn't make sense. Like, God, why is this happening? Like, we, we've just been married a few months. Like, we can't afford to eat, much less feed another kid. Like, God, what are you doing? I'm supposed to go to seminary and take out these student loans and, and be educated so I can get a, bit, a better job in life one day. And God's plans are better than our plans. And we look several years down the road that um, this Liberty Theological Seminary opens up scholarships for pastors that are part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they can go to seminary for free. And I was able to get my seminary degree, not for $30,000, but for about $5. And I look at God's ways are better than my ways. I look how my family started way earlier than I, I would have thought. And by the like I can't imagine what my parents, my in-laws were thinking. Um, it still blew my mind that they would send us home from a hospital with a baby, but wouldn't allow us to rent a car at the time. Like, just, just blew my mind. And in 2014, when my wife was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, one that she'll deal with her whole entire life, but she will not die from, uh, praise God, you guys remember in 2014, we had a pray for Amy day. We didn't know. They had given her five years to live at the moment. We didn't know what was going to happen, but they were able to do surgery, and it was awesome. But what I realized, that if, if, if that would have happened and we didn't start our family early, we wouldn't have had our fourth kid. Which there are days, like, I'm like, maybe, like. <laughs> Just kidding, Toby, we love you. We may not have had our third kid. And so it was devastating for me, like, why is this happening with seminary? Why is this happening with starting the family early? I see God's blessing all over it 10 years later. Now listen, if you're in the midst of a trial, A, it could be your own stupidity, right? You could have walked into somewhere you shouldn't have walked in. But B, it may be something that God is doing in your life, and you won't see the blessing until years to come. 
Sometimes God's ways don't make sense to us at that time. A true sense of commitment is laying everything down to the Lord, everything down to God. And I think we all desire to do that. We all want to lay things down to the Lord. But from time to time, there's distractions, things that, that get our eyes off of him. And I think in closing today, we've done our announcements. We've done everything. This is how we're closing out service today. First, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, today's the day. It's very simple. Just say, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I believe in your son, Jesus, and today I ask him into my life. You do that, you pray that, and I'll be down front. I'd, I'd love to talk more about that after. Also, if this is your first time here at service, I'm going to be down front. I'd love, I'd love to talk with you. But as Carrie comes, I think the biggest way we can combat what happens in our lives when it comes to faithfulness and obedience is to give the God the glory for everything that happens in our life. Because there's times where we want to steal a little bit of that glory for ourselves and say, look what I've done and look what I've accomplished. And when we take that glory away from the Lord, it can affect our faithfulness to him. Because we don't need him as much as we used to because look how successful we are. And when we take a little bit of faithfulness away, that faithfulness can take a little bit of obedience away. And we start this little slip before we ever know it. And so my encouragement for you today and the way we're closing out service today is to give God the glory.